Bonjour, bonjour, and welcome to another episode of EveryoneHatesMarketers.com, the no-fluff actionable marketing podcast for marketers, marketing consultants, founders, and tech people who are just sick of shady, aggressive marketing. I'm your host, Louis Godier. In today's episode, you'll learn why, where, and how to infuse your marketing with humor. My guest today is kind of funny, uh, <laughs> and I know that because I saw her speak live at a conference recently, and I actually dislocated my jaw after laughing too hard. Uh, that's not true, I didn't, but I actually read a story of someone who did. Uh, not laughing at my guest or with my guest, but laughing at someone and literally dislocating their jaw, so it could happen. Anyway, my guest today is a conversion copywriter and comedian. Her greatest dream for you is that uh, to make your customers pause, smile, and click. Uh, as I mentioned, she speaks at many marketing conferences like Learning Down, Unbound's Call to Action, Content Jam, etc., etc. So that's why I'm super happy to have you, Leanna, on board. Welcome. Thank you so much. It makes me want to do my own French accent, but I will save you from that. Go ahead. French people really don't like it. I used to date somebody whose dad was French Israeli, and, and I worked for him. And he was always like, "Hey, Liana, did you send that email to the person that uh, is supposed to uh, work with us next week?" You have to like shake your head while you do it. Yeah, I'll stop now. I'll be done. I just had to get that out. I like felt it happening, and was like, "It was good actually. I'm actually, I'm actually impressed by your." Uh, merci. Uh, J'ai pratiqué. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we can do it in French. <laughs> you want. No, I really don't. All right. So it's a weird thing about humor because humor makes people laugh, right? And I was trying I to think so. about this. Making people laugh. Isn't laughing kind of a weird emotional, like human emotion or human reaction? Yes. And there's, I, I don't want to cut you off if you have more questions, but there's so many ways this has been studied from like the physiological angle, from the emotional angle. Some people have suggested that laughing is a response to like winning an argument so that it's descended from like the primal roar of victory. Other people is like, oh, it's the physical expression of relief of tension, which obviously holds water if you've ever like broken the ice with a joke and then everyone's like, oh, thank God somebody said something. Anyway. Yes, there's a lot of ways to look at laughing itself. What were you going to say? No, that's it. I'm just, it's a weird thing. And I was curious to hear like what you knew about like laughing as a, as a, as a human response. It, it definitely comes from like a long, long time ago. I think I remember reading in a book about this, um, like monkeys showing their teeth as, mm -hmm. a, as a way to, to show submission. And that laughing, smiling and all that is kind of a, a way for us to like show submission, to say that we're friendly, mm -hmm. at least smiling. But laughing is a another thing altogether. Anyway, I don't want to go too far into that. I just wanted to talk about it a bit to see if you knew anything about it. And you do. <laughs> You're like, I'm just testing you. How, how deep yeah. can we go? <laughs> I know that as soon as listeners looked at the title of this episode, they're wondering, okay, humor, that's all good. That's funny. Some people are funny. I'm not funny. I work in a shitty industry, B2B. Everyone is boring. They wear suits. They go to conferences and all. Yeah. Can I actually be funny? So Let's first answer this question. Is it for everyone? Is it for a few people? Like, who is it for? Okay, so humor is for everyone. And even if you are not funny, you can learn principles that will make you feel and seem funnier. So, like, I'm not going to turn you from boring Joe Bob, whoever, into, like, a famous stand-up. But because I can't teach you social cues, you know? Like, if you're not good mm -hmm. at reading a room and knowing when your jokes don't land, then I can't fix that, but I can teach people improv and stand-up techniques that will make them better able to come up with humor in their marketing. So like short answer, yes, you can learn to be funny. What's the most boring 
industry you see humor used in? I have been lucky to work with some really boring industries, and that's actually my favorite type of work to do because the bar is so low. Nobody's expecting to get like... I wrote some transactional emails for a company that sells sprinkler parts and landscaping parts wholesale. And the feedback on the transactional emails was like, this was great, really unexpected, like made me laugh. I'll definitely be back because you don't expect to get an abandoned cart email that's like, Jared is under his desk. You left your cart. He can't go home. He's been here for days. Please finish checking out. You're like, maybe I would have expected that from Cards Against Humanity, but not this sprinkler supply store. That's a great great example. And have you ever seen like situations where it doesn't land at all. Like it's an industry so opaque and so serious that it just doesn't fucking land. Don't even try there. Honestly, no. I yes. think before anybody in those industries tries it, somebody shoots it down. So like somebody in the C-suite will say like, well, this just doesn't feel right. And that comes from fear. The only industry where I've seen people be super reluctant to even consider trying it is the funeral and death industry, obviously. But like even there, there is room. And I, I tell people about this ad that I saw a while back, which was an ad for a funeral home. I think it was a British funeral home. And it was an old lady in a wheelbarrow. And the the title was something along the lines of why pay for all the bells and whistles when you're just going to be in the ground soon. And it was super dark and awesome. <laughs> yeah, dark and awesome. Uh, yeah. But you mentioned the F word. And it's interesting, the F word that you just mentioned, because I actually was very curious about this. And I feel that the reason why people struggle with this concept of humor and don't try to be funny is because they are afraid. So you mentioned fear, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Before we go into the how-to of like how to actually insert humor in your marketing, I know you have a few ways to do that. You have a course about it and all of that. How do you convince people who are afraid of actually trying something like that, which is mm-hmm. quite edgy, like humor is, is not easy. But how do you convince them to actually give it a shot? Yeah. I try not to have to convince too many people. I want them to be excited about it from the beginning. So it's easier for me to sell. That said, I point to the actual psychological impact, the emotional impact, and the relationship that we're trying to build, all of which have been studied by humor theorists and scholars, right? So like, there are proven benefits to using humor to relieve tension, boost information recall, build a deeper and better relationship with whoever your person is, whether you're trying to get them to sign up or buy or whatever, so that when you do try to make the sale, you have that understanding already built there and you have that like good feeling. So I just I point to the actual benefits of it and say like we're going to work based on research, we're going to figure out what your audience thinks is funny based on the same kind of qualitative research that we would do for straight conversion copy, regular conversion copy. Uh, we're just going to focus more on what's funny to them and bring that in strategically. And let's take one step before that, right? So that's okay. the step where people contact you because they they're almost convinced that this is good for them, right? So they are kind of at the to, to use marketing lingo they are at the bottom of the funnel right Mm -hmm. but what if you don't know you need it you know what if in your marketing general you are kind of scared of taking risk and you are not really the type of person who who like to experiment so you kind of do boring when everyone zigs you zig as well type of marketing what's your way of like shaking shaking that feeling and, and saying you know you need to actually stand out i am usually just like hey let's give it a try let's 
perform a test in a controlled environment. You know, if you have an automated email series, let's replace one or more of those emails with a funny test version and see how that performs against the control. And then if I get some buy-in like that, I'll usually start with a test project for people who are a little more scared. And that could be like an email or a product description or a B version of a landing page or even just like a headline somewhere. And usually we see both quantitative and anecdotal responses improve like, oh, I really liked this email. And I, I get this all the time with my own email welcome series where people feel the need to hit reply, even though it's clearly automated. And they say like, I love these, keep them coming. That's the feedback that I get most often. And then I have to be like, well, you know, there's like 10 of them and then I will never email you again. So sorry about that. Give me an example of like inside one of your welcome emails, like one that seems to hit the, the mark pretty well. Uh, I think it's the... The very first one that I send after people confirm and it says like, hey, remember how yesterday you signed up for this email series? It's awesome. There's a GIF of Stephen Colbert high-fiving a hand that pops up from his desk. Uh, and then it says, here's what you're going to get from me. And there's some bullet points with what they can expect. So I'm previewing the rest of the series. And then it's like, eat your vegetables, get to bed on time, and I'll talk to you tomorrow. Uh, and people are like, I'm so excited for this. It's so different from other series that pop up in my inbox. Yeah. That's already much funnier than I ever was in my email. So I'm kind of oh, jealous right now. But I it's okay. That. I learned from you. I learned from you. So actually <laughs> learning from you is what we're doing right uh, today together. Nice. Hopefully. So in the premise of the episode, I mentioned like how to actually insert humor in your marketing. Uh, and as I mentioned as well, you have a, co a course live now uh, because we're recording this episode where it's being pre-launched, but actually at the time the episode will go live, it's going to be launched. So I hope so. <laughs> it will be. Now you have to. Um, so how do you? Let's start from step one, right? You've decided as a marketer, okay, we're gonna we're gonna add some humor into into our our life, into our marketing. Mm -hmm. I don't know where to start. Where do you actually start? What is step number one? So step number one is always that research, right? You have to get to know your audience, your customer. You have to know what their quote-unquote journey is. I don't know if that's a dirty word, funnel and journey and whatever you want to call it. So that. Journey. Okay. Journey's fine. Right. So you've mapped out the journey that you want them to take, right? And one way that I like to teach people to look at it is by two states of mind that humans are always alternating between. So this is where we come into like some of the cognitive psychology of humor. We're constantly switching between a goal-oriented state and a play-oriented state. So it's telic and paratelic. Uh, and humor is what triggers us to shift between these like, I'm going to get shit done state of mind and the like, oh, I can browse Reddit and laugh at this teacup pig pushing a shopping cart full of beer which is a just thing. random example just not specific at all has no one else seen no. that perfect image perfect. <laughs> we were blessed with this image long ago on reddit so if you're mapping your customer journey you know where you need people to be in that very focused goal-oriented state because you know where you need them to do something for you click or buy or add to cart or whatever. But you also know where they're going to be a little bit more tense, where they're going to feel a little bit more anxious. And one of the examples I like to give often is under a call to action button, we're asking someone to do something, right? Well, you have this opportunity under that button with some click trigger copy. We have the opportunity to assuage their anxiety, to give them a moment of relief. So that's one of my favorite spots to use humor because it's like, you know, normally you see just straight objection reducing there. Like, Your credit card info is safe with us. We'll never email you more than we need to. We never share your email address, whatever it is you're signing up for. I like to say, like, we do ask for your credit card, but that's just because we have a lot of online shopping to do. Or like, what's behind this button? Who knows? Gotta click it to find out. Something that indicates like, hey, a human person was here trying to connect with you. 
you can trust us. And I think that works better with certain markets and certain consumers than just like the regular, hello, and welcome to our business site where you can click things and we will do things. So let's go back to this principle. Like, uh, let me make sure. Let me make sure I understood uh, properly what you said. Sure, I get excited so, and I kind of ramble. Uh, so we have humans switch between two states: the, the playfulness state and the kind of goal-oriented state. Yeah, right? yeah. And what you want to do when they are in a goal-oriented, uh, goal-oriented kind of mindset when they read your website because they want to get something done, you know, make them switch to a kind of a play mindset. And you want to do that because they, you're more likely to build a connection this way. You're going to alleviate their objections by kind of removing the tension a bit, yeah? Like you're relieving tension. Yeah, and, and there's there's multiple benefits to putting them in that play-oriented state, right? Depending on where you are in the funnel. You might be relieving anxiety, but you might also just be training them to expect that whenever they come into contact with you, it's going to be delightful. So why wouldn't they open your next email? Why wouldn't they buy your next product? Because they've already been trained that like, oh, this is something different. This is something fun. So it's kind of a balance between not wasting people's time, but also giving them a moment of joy that they might not otherwise experience, quote unquote, at work okay. or buying or whatever it is. You started to answer my question by saying, you know, you just do customer research. You start by research, which is luckily enough what most people in this podcast say, which is great mm-hmm. because it's, it's the trait of good marketers, I believe. I don't want to go too far into like customer research 101 because we mentioned that multiple times, but I'm pretty sure you have some unique ways to kind of get to know customers so that you can understand the sense of humor and all of that. So mm-hmm. what do you mean by this? Like how do people can do their research from the humor side of things uh, from their, their audience? Yeah, so people are probably already asking those important questions, like what are your biggest problems? What brought you to consider our solution or our product today? I like to just throw in a combination of questions about that user's sense of humor and fun moments in the research process. So if like if I'm sending out a survey, I'll add in, "Hi cat, do you need something?" Oh, she's she's got a mouse. It's not a real mouse. Fake mouse. No animals were harmed in the production of this podcast. I thought um, it was a question you, would, uh, you were asking. A customer <laughs> yeah, I'm like, not- hey, Kat, would you like to participate in a user research project? She's like, no, I'm good, chewing on this mouse. Anyway, where was I? So if I'm sending out a survey and I'm saying, you know, tell us all the meaty, juicy details about your problem. Give us your verbatim answers so that I can work those into the copy. I'll also say, like, if you had to pick between, you know, these stand-up comics, which is your favorite? Or if you had to pick between these, like, 90s TV shows, which one speaks to you the most? And I also get this a lot from talking directly to clients. Because a lot of the time, like, the voice or the personality that we're trying to create, the sense of humor, needs to feel genuine to the brand director or the founder or whoever it is. So they don't mm. want to like create a, a funny brand voice that has nothing to do with them. So it's kind of a, a hybrid of like, hey, what TV shows and comics and uh, cartoons did you grow up with? What do you think is funny? Um, what kinds of things do people joke about in Slack? Do you have any custom emojis that you guys put in there? Like, So that you can make sure when you do make a joke, you have this library of references to pull from. So we'll know like, you know, I'm, I shouldn't reference Friends because nobody in this audience ever watched Friends, but they really like It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. So maybe I should go a little bit more like edgy and violent almost with the humor versus like jokey and goofy. Does that all make sense? Yes. I'm smiling because the uh, you're already kind of revealing some sort of secret sauce, I believe, oh, but I hope you're, so. not going, you're not going at it 100% yet. So let's, let's get even deeper. Oh, God. 
<laughs> I need dinner first, Louis. <laughs> You're asking question like, what's your favorite TV show, uh, favorite stand-up comedian? To the client, you would ask like, do you have any custom emojis or any recurring joke or stuff like that? And you want to know the intersection of the tool, basically the intersection of your customer's customer sense of humor and the, and, and your customer sense of humor. Right? Yeah, yeah. But like, are those all of the questions you ask or do you like to ask more? Is there like the really the ones that you always come back to, the things that you always want to know from the customer and the customer's customer? Those are some of them, but also, you know, these things just happen in conversation, especially if you're doing one-to-one client interviews. You know, if you get to a place where someone's comfortable, they have a good rapport with you, you can try out a couple jokes on them or just like, you know, crack a joke here and there to break the ice or lift the tension, like I was saying earlier. And then they come forth with something more honest than they were going to say. So those are some of the questions uh, that I normally ask clients. Uh, But I also just do that normal research mining where I'll go through and, and look at reviews or customer support emails and say like, what are people joking about? What are the common perceptions about the product or the the business that we can play on? What is the topic that we can joke about here? And like, how are people already doing it? Is this making sense? It's kind of a nebulous. Yeah. And also this cat so is like know. screaming at me, just freaking out. Come here, dummy. So, uh, <laughs> she says hi. So you would do review mining and normal customer research, but do you apply this lens of humor into it? So you, you don't look for like pr- what the problems people mention necessarily or, or like what typical conversion copywriter or copywriters will look into or marketers will look into. You really look at it from a humor standpoint, which is something I've never heard before, which is awesome, right? So you really look at it like maybe maybe on Amazon reviews, maybe some of the reviews include some sort of a joke, some sort of a, like a funny stuff, like, and you get inspired by that, right? I'm looking at it for both. I want to say that like the humor comes in more toward the end of the strategizing and writing process. So it starts out with that research. If I come across a joke that somebody makes in review or a support chat, that's great. And I'll take note of that. But there's not enough of that to really base conclusions on at the beginning. So it's more like mapping that customer journey, listing out the pains and objections, and then saying like, okay, which of these are good and fruitful sources of joke material? Like if somebody compares this email service provider deliverability, uh, like basically lobbing a brick with a note on it through a window, you know, sure, I'll use that. But like, what other jokes can we build around deliverability as a topic that will speak to the issues people are having with other products? So we can like position ourselves against the competition while making like a joke that makes the user feel understood. Like we've done the research, we understand what problems you have, or potential problems you have. Let's Make a joke around those to show you that we understand them and that we're thinking about them. And that's awesome. So, I mean, you're not, you are a conversion copywriter, but you have a specialty of humor, but you still do the rest, right? You still yeah. look at challenges, problems and whatnot. And we've yeah. mentioned that multiple times in the podcast before. So if if you're listening to this episode right now and want to know more about it, just go to everyoneahitsmarketers.com and search for conversion copywriting or copywriting. You'll find plenty of episodes mentioning that exact thing. But the humor side is something we've never really touched on before. So to go deeper into that, now we have research. We we have the basic conversion research. We understand what they struggle with. We also understand their sense of humor. We understand our client's sense of humor or our company's sense of humor. So we know kind of the intersection of the two. And mm-hmm. then you said something interesting, which is, I believe, extremely difficult. And you're probably going to 
tell me that you can't answer this question, but you said, then you just come up with jokes, right? You just come up with jokes <laughs> that are yeah. just, you know, related to that. How does one come up with jokes? So yeah. that is kind of like, that's a, a brain training kind of thing, right? That's where improv and stand-up, but mostly improv has been the most valuable for me because everyone thinks of improv as this, like, it's just a bunch of super funny people on stage making things up on the fly. But in fact, it's a bunch of mostly normal people who have trained their brains to think in certain frameworks to be able to immediately say like, all right, we're on stage. Somebody says something weird. Somebody else says something. Let's very quickly identify what the funny thing is here, how we can make it even funnier, who we are to each other and why it matters. And those are like the ingredients of a good improv scene. So you start to apply that thinking to everything in your life. Congratulations, your life is ruined. You're constantly thinking like you're in an improv scene. But- <laughs> But you're, you're constantly saying like, oh, that's funny. What would make this funnier? Like, how can I heighten this? What's the quote unquote next beat of the joke? And then, you know, as a stand-up, you're thinking, how do I phrase this for maximum impact? And there's a lot of linguistic stuff that goes into that. There's funnier sounds and numbers and words than others. You know, you don't want to end on a word that's not the funniest. So you rearrange the writing of the joke so that the funny word is at the end. You get that punch. Like, there's an approach to it. And then there's the actual workshopping and editing of it so re- repeat repeat for us the, the actual framework the mental framework you have at improv like you said something very interesting there yeah What is it? well there's a lot of there's a lot of like improv principles that you will want to practice and learn but three great questions and i i'm tying these into copy in my course that i'm working on that will be out by the time this comes out <laughs> quote unquote there's three great questions that you have to ask in every improv scene which is who are we to each other like what's the relationship What's the environment? Where are we? And why does it matter? What are the stakes? And if you are missing any one of these, your scene's going to feel weird. You can have a great scene in a grocery store between a brother and sister, but it's not going to be as funny if we don't know that, like, the grocery store is going to explode in 10 minutes and we have to choose a bag of frozen peas, Susan, you know. Uh, you have to have some sort of stakes. And if we're in a grocery store and we know it's going to explode, but we don't know who we are to each other, it's just not as funny. So you have to have those three ingredients. <laughs> so I guess we could apply that to coming up with jokes, right? Because yeah. what is at stake here is you need to sign up to this account. Like it's kind of the, what is at stake? Relationship between us is, you know, I'm the company providing you the service, you're yeah. the client. Yeah. And the environment, that's a bit... What is the environment in this scenario? Well, if so, so you might want to emphasize one more than the other at various stages right. of the journey. If we're talking about signing up for a new account, maybe that's about the relationship, right? So it's like, hey, we know you don't know us from Adam just yet, but we promise we're cool people. We like puppies. You know, one of us ran a marathon one time. Join us <laughs> and you'll see how cool we are. Just like throw in some weird personal shit. And that can come off as humor uh, because the bar is so low. You know, one of us ran a marathon one time. Yeah, but didn't finish. Just Pro- probably not. Yeah, and that Just would make running. me more likely to sign up because I'm like, oh, a marathon. No thanks. So, are you telling me that things come? That's the worst answer you can tell me. But like, are you telling me that things come to you kind of naturally and it's impossible for you to to teach it? Or no, I'm or... telling you that I am teaching it, but I can't <laughs> teach you how to be a great improviser right. in 30 minutes, Louis. Come on. <laughs> uh, so if 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 you're someone interested in that craft, yeah. you would recommend them to like sign up to improv class and get get it done this way. By the way, when I imagine improv class, I imagine the episode of The Office where Michael Scott 
is always putting up a fake gun. Yeah. Yeah. I'm always trying to be like the inspector or whatever. Uh, yeah. To the people. It just like cracks me up every single time. There are those people in improv classes who are like, I have to be in every scene and I'm always going to do the same character or the same voice. My quibble with his, uh, his gun thing is that he's making a gun out of his fingers, whereas most improvisers who do quote unquote object work would hold their hand as if there was an invisible gun there. You know, like no, I'm holding no, no, no. the gun. I'm, this isn't a video thing, but yeah. You're holding a gun, not making your hand into the gun. He's nuts. Anyway, so yeah. going back to going back to the now that you understand the research, now you understand what triggers people, what they find funny and whatnot. How do you go from there to codifying your actual humor, like your company's humor? Like how do you go from from that research to the actual material? Yeah. So we have the user research, right? We know what they find funny or what will probably resonate with them. We have good a good guess. And then we have our own sense of humor and what we personally find funny as founders. And we want to see where that those two circles overlap. We want to see what the references that we both like are, the shows that we all watch are. And that tells us like, these are the, the pools of GIFs and um, jokes and styles of jokes that we should pull from. And then because we've already mapped out the peaks and valleys of the customer journey, we know where people are being asked to do something, asked to feel tension, asked to relieve it. We know where we're trying to focus on building the relationship versus getting the sale. We go through and we add humor into those points where it makes the most sense. So like if I'm just building the relationship with you in the first three emails of the welcome series, I'll lean a little bit harder on humor. Uh, if I'm asking you to do something, I'll probably back off a little bit and only use humor where I need you to feel comfortable. Uh, like, okay, I'll click the button. I'll go ahead and do it. So it's that combination of like, I know what's funny. I know what to say. Now I know when to say it based on people's comfort level and what I need them to do for me as a marketer. So let's try to identify like from the customer journey that, that you want to kind of optimize. Let's try to identify the moments that are the most important you know, to use your marine. Like, what is your go-to, and your cat is really interesting in customer journey, what is your <laughs> go-to moment that you like to focus on first that you know you will, will be like a big win? From a conversion standpoint or from bringing humor into conversion? Like, there's... Bringing humor. Bringing yeah. humor. Yeah. Um, honestly, I like transactional emails the most because everyone's sending them and everyone is uh, using Shopify and Clavio's default transactional emails. Um, but because you have already gone, you've brought this person so far down the rabbit hole, this is like e-commerce speaking specifically for e-commerce, mm -hmm. but we have the mm -hmm. same things for SaaS. That's an opportunity to delight them, whether it's abandoned cart and we need them to take one more step or it's order confirmation or shipping confirmation. Those are such easy, quick, evergreen ways to keep people around and to retain them for longer because I don't know if you've ever had the the buying or free trial experience where you you buy the thing and you love the brand and every email the brand has sent you has been so great and then you finally sign up and you immediately start getting like default boring blah emails and it's like oh they forgot about me they don't care about me anymore they don't care about retention right which is like we all know it's so much less expensive to keep somebody around than it is to get a new customer. So those are my favorite spots because they're like the low hanging fruit. How can we continue the experience of delight? even past the point of conversion. Right. So those emails that everyone sends, those, those communication that everyone sends, where the expectations is super low, everyone expects a shitty email, and boom, come up with a joke that actually lands, people yeah. find it funny, and that creates some, like, usually people would screenshot them, post them on Twitter, talk about mm -hmm. it with their friends, just laugh. I do that. Uh, 
yeah, you do that a lot. Okay, so that's kind of the based on the how would I call it? Based on where in the relationship you are, the type of email, like these automatic emails. But in terms of opportunity in the customer journey, so you mentioned those moments that your cat is going crazy. This is, this is the loudest my cat has ever been. Yeah. This is they also the quietest that. cat. They so I don't know that. what her problem it's is. The fr- it's the French accent. So in the customer <laughs> journey, you have, as you say, you have those moments of tensions, those moments of relief and whatever. Mm-hmm. How do you use humor in those Tensions moment. So tensions typically would be like when you need to pay just before paying mm-hmm. or, I don't know, canceling, like those moments that are quite rough. What mm-hmm. do you like to do there and how do you advise people to do it? Oh, canceling is a tricky one and I get that question sometimes. Like you don't want to use humor at any point where the person might feel like you're making fun of them, right? So if someone's really actually angry at you and they're about to cancel, you probably don't want to say like, oh, have you considered that it was your fault? Or, you know, sorry, you weren't smart enough to use our service. Uh, So back off at those points. Like that's probably not a safe place to use humor. And and I think it's like a range of risk that you take depending on your comfort bringing humor into your marketing. If you want to just start slow, focus on building relationship, keep the rest of your uh, touch points the same. Uh, but if you want to go whole hog and like update your entire customer journey or your funnel, try it everywhere and see what happens. And you'll probably get some feedback in places where people were really not receptive to it. That brings me back to that goal-oriented thing where if someone's trying to cancel, they just want to cancel and be done with you as quickly as possible. And it is, you know, you can get some of that useful feedback from them. Hey, why did you leave us? Is there anything we could have done better? Do you want to update your subscription to just once a month or whatever it is? But you don't want to, to say like, you know, we're going to force you to sit through this 30-second video of a dog looking at you sadly while we cry in the background. Like... It's a it's a dangerous proposition. I felt that before, so I, I opted out of a lot of emails. I get magically added to email newsletter. I'm sure you are as well. Oh, um, all the time, yeah. And amazing. I unsubscribe and flag a spam. And sometimes you see this like shitty shitty joke about unsubscribing, saying, "Oh, yeah, I guess we didn't do something." Or you know, yeah. and it just doesn't land here. And, and you're right; it just doesn't land at all. It's just more annoying than anything. Yeah. So I think that's a good caveat to say, like when you cancel. When it's unsubscription, that kind of stuff, you need to be careful yeah. with humor. Tell me more about then the... So we have codified our sense of humor in intersection of the client and our, and, and our customers. Mm-hmm. We know our customer journey. We know where people struggle. Maybe you could give me one or two examples of like times where you've used humor like strategically or those, those places where you use humor strategically that kind of all, not always work. I don't want to go that far, but tend to kind of work because mm-hmm. of... The placement because of the context. So you already mentioned one. You mentioned below a call to action button is mm-hmm. usually a good place. Mm-hmm. Where else do you like to add humor? If I'm writing an email series and I need people to segment themselves by clicking a descriptive link, I'm sure you've seen those kinds of things where it's like, I'm an agency mm-hmm. owner, I'm a freelancer, I'm an idiot. Mm-hmm. You you can update those links to be like a little bit funnier, a little bit more descriptive so that people feel compelled to be like, well, I'm not that one. So of course I'm this one. And it's, it's okay. another way to like disarm people, make them feel comfortable. I like to use humor in product descriptions, especially in the, the what I call, um, it's the copy that's the same across every product page. So like shipping return policies, uh, yeah. yeah, materials, if you have the same type of thing. For some reason, I'm not remembering what I usually call that to clients. But if that's like a way to test, if you have a, 
dozen SKUs and you don't want to pay for new copy for all of them or you don't want to test humor on all of them, why don't we try updating the shipping policy and the return policy to bring in a little a little humor so that when people are like, well, I'm not really sure if I'll get this in time or you know, what if it doesn't fit? Can I return it? You go down and it's like, don't worry. You have 30 days to return it. Just don't wear it to the nightclub. Uh, we can tell, Janet, you know, the, the armholes smell like sweat and dove deodorant or whatever it is. Like another opportunity <laughs> to get weirdly specific because uh-huh. that's something that humor shares with copy. It's funnier when it's specific. It's more effective when it's specific. And to not make them feel like you're attacking them, but to sort of align yourself on the same side. And these are like, I could talk forever about improv principles and like picking a side, naming the game, getting specific, having distance between your beats. All of these things correlate so closely to effective copy, but I will stop. No, this is getting good. So I oh, like the, now, just now it's getting yeah, good. Just now, it's 35 35 minutes, minutes, yeah. Yet. It's interesting that, yeah, the, the places to start are the places that everyone takes for granted. And I very much like that because I'm also a sucker for like identifying holes, identifying, identifying uh, places where everyone is doing the same, everyone mm-hmm. is zigging and you just zag. And I love yeah. that from you, like the way you do things as well. Like, just let me pause and say your website, your copy, your approach to things, the way you deliver uh, talks at conferences is truly someone who zags when everyone else is zigging and I think it's it's like testament to you and the risk you took when you started doing this and but like you are also an example of what you preach so fair play to that and I've actually taken a few notes when you were speaking at the conference we were together right Just, and there's yeah. a few things yeah. uh, genuinely did and a few things that that I'd like you to mention uh, to the people listening um I think one principle that you haven't directly mentioned, you said like don't make fun of the of the customer, is yeah. to make fun of yourself, right? Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. So I think what you're referencing is two safe topics that I usually recommend are two safe directions of humor. So I, a lot of people shy away from using humor because they don't want to offend, right? They don't want to call their customers names or lose the sale because they came off offensive, right? And we've talked about ways to avoid doing that. And two of the most effective ones are to make fun of yourself so that no one can get mad at you for that uh, and make fun of the environment or do what's called observational humor. So point out something that we can all see. The example that I always use is Jerry Seinfeld saying, what's the deal with airplane food? We're all like, oh, that is funny. Airplane food is terrible. We've all experienced that. It brings us together. We're on the same side. Um, But if you make fun of yourself, people are like, oh, well, that's kind of funny. And like, this person must be down to earth and like pretty honest with themselves. I can trust them. Rather than saying like, hey, idiot, buy my thing, which is what, and I've already mentioned Cards Against Humanity, but that's kind of what they do. And it works for them because we all love them anyway. But not everyone wants to do that. It's it's very specific. You, you need it's unlikely to work for you, right? So self-deprecating humor is is great, and actually being French, it's not the type of humor that I was used to oh, I when know. I grew up. The French uh, right? don't like making fun of themselves. No, they don't because they think very highly of themselves. They think oh, they're so smart, yeah, and I'm I'm lucky enough to be to be amongst the smart to be one of the idiots, so that I actually could realize it. Uh, <laughs> funnier, but actually, I've been living in Ireland for ten years, and the. The, the change was quite nice. People like to make fun of themselves and actually mm-hmm. find it much easier to laugh. Um, two, and yes, I think that's a safe bet, right? You make fun of yourself, so you have a common a common thing to, to make fun of. But it actually goes back to a psychological principle uh, that you mentioned. Uh, admitting a flaw 
mm-hmm. make people trust you more, right? Mm-hmm. So you don't want to overly engineer it and say, oh, we suck at everything, so therefore you should, right. you should trust us. But admitting something that is a flaw, like something that you're not that good at, or and using humor to do so is kind of scientifically proven. I don't want to use this, those two words. That's weird. I'm not selling toothbrushes, but it's... <laughs> Scientifically, yeah, scientifically proven that it just, it's one of those, those behavioral uh, yeah. psychology principles that works. So yeah. I'm not surprised that it works in humor as well. Yeah, we all have insecurities. We all like worry about our appearance or, you know, our social abilities and to have somebody just come out and say it. Like, oh, this is awkward. Like, maybe I should go get a drink when you're meeting a bunch of people at a conference and everyone's like, so what do you do? What do you do? What do you do? And it's like, can we just skip that or like name the thing and get past it? Everyone kind of appreciates that when you're able to to do that. Another thing that I remember from what you were saying was now we're going into the the tactics, the details of like actually the writing itself, writing the copy. Mm-hmm. Like is using, for example, all caps, right? Which is kind of a way... Like in, in real life, when I talk to you, you can you can make jokes and you have different intonations and different mm-hmm. ways to say things easily to, to understand because it's your intonation. But in copy, only have fucking letters mm-hmm. to play with, right? Right. Or emojis or GIFs if you're technically uh, brilliant. But what is the, how do you like to use different like capitalization versus no capitalization? Emojis, non-emojis, yeah. etc. What's your way of doing it? sparingly um (laughs) but basically you know we think of copy as a conversation right you wouldn't just have a whole conversation kind of in the same monotone so why would you kind of write all of your sentences the same length and use the same punctuation because it's not really that i can't even do it i'm still going up a little bit uh because when we speak we we change our volume we change our pitch we get excited and we talk faster we get dramatic and we talk slower so copy should reflect that natural way of speaking so you want to vary the the length of your sentences for a dramatic effect. Do you want to like throw in some capital letters when you're super agitated and then come down and you want to like make a little wink here and there with an emoji or a GIF um, because this is the way that people communicate, not just in text, but in person with their actual bodies and voices. Um, and it just works better. And what about comic book sounds? Comic book sounds, yeah, one of my favorite. Um, Because we only have words, right? We can't usually include sound effects when people are reading copy, although that is really interesting to me. Maybe I'll work on that. We can describe a sound we want the reader to hear in their heads, and we'll actually, there, there is some research showing that when a sound is described, a different part of people's brains lights up. Uh, so if I say, like, drum roll, please, dot, 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 crash, bang, boom, like, here it is, the new product that we've been waiting for. People will actually hear, like, cymbals and drums falling on the ground and, like, you know, a snare drum falling apart or whatever it is. Yeah, I was about to say that you don't need scientific research for that because every time I read those, like, drum roll, awesome explosion noise, whatever the fuck, actually, my head makes them noise. Yeah, and and the the thing that I love about that, you said awesome explosion noise, which is pulled from uh, an email from Purple, and they they put it inside two asterisks. They don't say like a recognized onomatopoeia, like um, crash or bang or boom. They say awesome explosion noise. So that sounds like whatever the reader wants it to sound like. They didn't even have to describe it. Yeah. I've asked you a lot of very specific questions, but I feel like maybe put you in a corner there. Um, is there anything on how to insert humor in your marketing? Anything that I haven't asked you that you didn't get a chance to mention just yet? I feel like you put my brain through the ringer just now. <laughs> That's what I do. 
just yeah. what people say. Well, I think the one thing that we didn't really talk about is different senses of humor. And we touched on that research and what's funny to people, but we didn't actually name different styles and senses of humor. And so there's, it's worth noting that there are codifiably different senses of humor. For instance, like there's wholesome and goofy and like this is non-hurtful kind of uh, punch up, uh, brings everyone together kinds of humor, you know, like cartoons and golden retrievers and babies falling down, but not getting hurt. Um, and then there's like, <laughs> Good for me. no, 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 no. Because getting hurt would be a different sense of humor, right? There's right. like sick jokes, dark and morbid, like dead baby jokes, you That's know? Me. I love that. Yeah. Me too. Gallows humor, uh, that kind of stuff. Like, we didn't talk about humor as a coping mechanism, but that's a whole different thing. That's where that comes from. Um, there's totally absurd humor. And here's a fun fact for you, which I recently discovered. Truly absurd humor. So I'm going to try to do this as quickly as possible. There's something called incongruity resolution theory, which is where a lot of jokes spring from. There's something weird. We notice it. And then it's resolved for us in a funny way. Um, truly absurd jokes never resolve. Like... You know, there's mm -hmm. Dat Boy, there's like the frog riding a unicycle, and he's like, what up? That's just totally nonsensical, right? And it's funny because it never resolves, um, because there's no resolution. And there is some research showing that if you enjoy truly absurd humor, you are smarter. Ooh. Yeah. Boom. Take so that, boomers. I don't know what that, I don't know. Sorry, <laughs> no, boomers. Take that, boomers. <laughs> you have no boomer listeners. I don't know. <laughs> there's so okay, much so here. <laughs> so the, we lost so the, the no no I'm, I'm i'm playing i'm not laughing i'm, I'm making it up uh, the uh so the absurdity makes i love this because yes it's there's no start or end to it there's no relief at the end there's yes. no you don't close the loop because there's yeah. no fucking loop in the first place yeah okay so the absurd there's the dark humor there's the joyful Cats, geese, yeah. and baby falling, not hurting themselves, whatever. There's lowbrow, which is like very crass, like poop humor, bodily fluids, sex, violence. That's not like dark. No. Dark is more murder and blood. and. Yeah, dark is like, you know, how many dead babies does it take to paint a house? You heard this one? No, I don't know. How many? Depends on how hard you throw them. Yeah. Okay, so that's Another dark. of my favorite dark jokes. I did not make this up. I can't remember who wrote this. But uh, you ever notice how glass tastes like blood? No. That's it. That's the joke. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh... Yeah, yeah, yeah. You see, I'm not that smart then, because I didn't get it the first time. Well, I did so, say it was a one-liner, but, you know. Uh, yeah, maybe stupid. So, joyful, <laughs> uh, dark, absurd. Yeah, uh, I would say goofy and wholesome, yeah. uh, dark and morbid, totally absurd and nonsensical, um, lowbrow and very crass, uh, like toddler humor. And then there's highbrow, uh, like witty and intellectual, where you have to um, you have to know certain things uh, to be able to get the joke. Like right. you need a you know a passing familiarity with art history, um, or in the case of a recent client, um, they do um, Amazon Web Services consulting, so AWS consulting. So everybody reading these emails has a very high level of technical knowledge. Right. Uh, and I would just say this is where we need a joke about this aspect of Amazon's back end and they would be like oh this is funny and i'd be like thanks because that's not my area of expertise gotcha okay so that's that's interesting and would you have a way to decide or to ask your audience what kind of humor they would like out of the one you described the fives like oh is it is it 
going too far? Or can you assume that maybe the dark one is not going to land it? It's not going to work anyway. I personally do. I have clients take a humor quiz. Okay. Uh, And I'm actually working on expanding that. What? What do you ask? I say, like, out of these 10 movies, you know, pick your favorite. And it's like uh, Shrek, uh, Dude, Where's My Car, The Addams Family, uh, Dr. Strangelove. So, like, a you know, range of comedy movies, but different tastes. Which of these jokes is funniest to you? I don't remember what the other ones. Uh, what's brown and sticky? Don't know. A stick. Ha ha! Um, <laughs> that's one of them, like, just stupid, right? right. Kind of low okay, brown. so you, you don't ask... You don't ask directly what is your humor. You I do know, what sometimes. Is, what is the humor that you identify with? Oh, you do. Okay. I get them started with that quiz, and that gives me a good jumping off point, especially when they say, and this happens um, because I have my own biases, right? I have my own points of reference. Um, I have clients come back and say, I don't really know a lot of the references on that quiz. I tend to like these shows, or I don't watch TV, um, or, you know, I've only ever seen one stand-up special. And I'm like, okay, great. Well, then let's talk about what you find funny day to day. Like, what was the last thing that you really laughed at? And let's talk about why. So that I can start to get a sense of, like, what is genuinely funny to them. But I think you've done an awesome job uh, breaking down, like, humor, marketing. I know it's not easy. I know you have plenty other stuff to to share. Uh, so as I mentioned at the start, um, you have a, a course uh, that is live now. Mm-hmm. Um, or at least if it's still pre-launch, we'll add the link anyway to the episode page. People can check that out. Before that, before I let you go, what do you think marketers should learn today besides using humor? Or maybe you're going to say that. Uh, what do you think marketers should learn today that will help them in the next 10 years, 20 years, 50 years? Uh, I was going to actually, I thought about this and I was going to say, just take hey, go ahead. No, I'm only I knew you would say that, of course. Take an improv class. That's like, I'm not the only person, I'm not the first person to say it, but it just helps you learn how to think in such better ways, no matter whether you're working or not. You, you know, I'm, the, I'm, I'm at the very, very start of the understanding what improv is. I, mm-hmm. One of my brother actually is an improv, like I would say fucking pro. He has like really? been doing it for 20 years. He has his own company, uh, improv company. I told you that, what? but don't remember, you know. I like, don't remember, that's, that's no, because happens. you're not important to me, Louis. Exactly. And Risky humor, everyone. Don't do that. Don't make fun of your host. <laughs> I feel bad. I instantly regret it. I'm sorry. You're fired. <laughs> uh, the, and, and basically, I, I've seen him multiple times, but I didn't, I don't understand the craft, right? And mm-hmm. the few things that you just mentioned, like frameworks, mental frameworks, mental mm-hmm. models, whatever, that, that surprised me because I was, I was genuinely thinking they're just making shit up as they go, but they don't. Clearly, it's like yeah. professionals doing stuff. So I'm actually curious now whether I should look into it. But yes. that's kind of the biggest advice for people, even not people who want to be funny, but more how to, to think quicker, to be wittier, to to come up with catchphrase or yeah. maybe copywriting or marketing in general, you'd recommend them to go to an improv class. I really would. And also just in that same vein, like be brave, try it, try using humor. If you don't go to an improv class, try a funny subject line to see if it gets you more opens. It's, that's my like go-to it's a really small way to test humor. If you normally send like straight subject lines in your emails, just try a funny one, see what happens. Yeah, and I'm glad you're saying that. I'm glad you're talking about the, men- the notion of risk. You mentioned fear before, because mm-hmm. that's kind of a, a big belief of mine. More and more, you can, you can, everyone can create anything online very fast now, right? Mm-hmm. So the bar is getting higher when it comes to like standing out and to truly make people notice you. 
what you have to say, what your product, uh, the product you're selling and whatnot. And zagging when everyone else is zigging and vice versa is, is, is going to become more and more critical, I believe, right? And your way of thinking is absolutely like amazing because of it. Not humor, but beyond that, like taking risk, removing fear, going to fucking improv, thinking yeah. quicker and all of that. This is critical in my opinion. And it's also just like so much easier because if this is who I am as a person, I don't have to like put on a facade and pretend to be somebody else or like think about how this other, you know, professional version of me would say a thing. Like I don't have time for that anymore. Like I just need to be who I am and do the things I feel like doing. And if they resonate with people, then great. And if they don't buy, find another copywriter. There's a million of us. Literally. Um, what are the top three resources you'd recommend our listener today? Could be uh, could be anything: podcasts, conferences, blogs. So I thought about this too, and I'm going to give you an obnoxiously cloying answer, um, which is that I just wish not not resource based, but I just wish that everybody would pay much more attention to the work that truly lights them up, and only do that, so that in like ten years we could have a world full of super niche specialists all closely working with each other, all doing work that makes them happy. And that's it. Amen to that. And I'm actually glad you said that because I know, you know, without knowing you in, in crazy uh, detail, like without having uh, spoken to you so many times, looking at your copy, looking at your website, looking at the way you present yourself and your craft, I already know that you know yourself, you know, like you, you have this, this, you know what you love, you know what you're getting energized by, and you, you, you're not trying to trick anyone. Like it's, it's you and you just are confident with that. But many, many, many people, especially in the marketing world, try to be someone they are not. Mm-hmm. And it's difficult, right? It takes a bit of time, but you need to kind of follow the energy is the way mm-hmm. I would like to say it. It's like this, 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 this warmth that you feel when you do something that is actually good, that you right. enjoy doing and that you're good at. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm actually glad you mentioned that. Do you have a resource that would help people to get closer to that, like a book or anything that you've read? Honestly, just getting into the practice of mindfulness and like being aware of the thoughts that I'm having and the fact that they're thoughts or the feeling that I'm having, like being more critically aware of your own mind and your reactions to things is what's going to help you identify like red flag people not to work with. Like, and then months later, you're like, oh, I never want to work with clients who are super formal in their emails. That must be an indication. Like, so just getting comfortable with your own mind so that you can recognize patterns and, you know. And I will not, I'm not a happy person. I feel the need to add that as a caveat. Like I want to make a version of my website where you click a button and it all turns black. And it's like, <laughs> this is depression copy. Because I think the flip side is like, we all have imposter syndrome. We all have anxiety. We all have depression. There is no perfection here. But yeah, just being able to say that is authentic too. So, oh God, the A word, authenticity. <gasps> the A word. You said a lot of A and A word today. Sorry. So where can people connect with you, learn more from you, take your course, all of that? They can find me at punchlinecopy.com uh, and snapcopy.co and also sharing a lot of weird personal stuff on Twitter at Punchline Copy. Awesome. Once again, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to. I know a lot of people uh, listening get a lot of value from, from what you said because it's the first time we've ever talked about using humor in marketing. So yay. Yay. Uh, Thank you so much for having me. This is great. And now I'm exhausted and I'm going back to bed. That's it for another episode of everyonehatesmarketers.com. And this is the moment where I tell you to subscribe to our email list. So before you leave 
and go to another podcast or listen to another episode. I don't treat email lists uh, the way people usually treat their email list. I really treat that as a, as a one-to-one conversation. So I'm going to send you very short and personal emails every two weeks, I would say. We, I'll inform you of guests in advance. I'll share with you my numbers and how many listens we get. And I'll also ask you for your feedback in terms of the questions we can ask future guests. And perhaps I can also uh, have you on the show uh, someday. So don't be afraid to subscribe. I'm not going to spam you. And you can always unsubscribe for sure, if you wish. The second thing we need from you is your harsh and honest feedback. We know that this show is not perfect yet, and we always... Uh, can improve. So you can send us your email at feedback at everyonehatesmarketers.com. Good or bad, please feel free to send me an email. And the last thing I like uh, from you is that if you did like the episode, please share it to your friends, your colleagues, or whoever might like it. And also please review it on iTunes or another service that you might use to listen to your podcast. Because if you leave us a five-star review, it means that more people would be likely to listen and we can spread the word quicker. So thank you so much once again, and au revoir. And that's it for another episode of everyonehatesmarketers.com. Thank you so much for listening. I'm super, super grateful. I'd love for you to consider subscribing to my daily newsletter, Monday to Friday, called Stand the Fuck Out Daily. I send very short, hopefully interesting, surprising, shocking, entertaining content to help you stand the fuck out. It's at everyonehatesmarketers.com. You can subscribe for free and obviously unsubscribe whenever you want. I'm just going to read a couple of emails that I got recently as a reply. Juma said, your content attacks the mind primarily, which is such a good thing because most of us are skilled at what we do, but we don't have the courage to do it our way. Mark, who just subscribed a couple uh, days before, said, this is my first issue of your newsletter. Love it. Glad I subscribed. Brianna said, I just realized this morning that my email habit is now to one, skim through the list, two, select all unread industry email except yours, three, delete and don't think twice, four, quickly skim yours. Amy said, also loving the new content that's coming from you. It feels really lovely. Candle said, I like your writing a lot. It really resonates. There's so much bullshit out there. It's good to touch the authentic. And Chloe said, where is the I fucking love this email button? Brilliant. I hope you subscribe. You'll be joining more than 14,000 subscribers at this stage, which is crazy. It's the size of a small stadium. Anyway, thank you so much. See you on the other side.